Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Well, we just passed 22,000 followers in Redcast Nation. Uh, that's We're still the 12th biggest city in Nebraska, but we are closing in on North Platte. We are almost at number 11, and then we're in that, that whole grouping. We're at Columbus is right after that, so we're right there, Dave. That's always been the goal, right, Hong? That's, yeah, just to get to Columbus, I think we'd be, we'd be really happy. That's right. That's right. All right. Also with Boomer. Well, just glad to be back here with the Redcast, uh, the podcast that everybody said was going to be seven and five. But look at us here. We're now perfect and we can talk trash. So for the rest of our life, we're the Redcast. So. <laughs> I thought it was There's five and seven. Whatever. Underdog story. Yeah, that's was, right. Yeah. Well, guys, it was a nice, nice break. Um, it's been a little while since we've been all together. We're missing Redcast Rob uh, tonight. Uh, I know. Anki, I think he did a, a recruiting special with him, which was a solid show, um, and with uh, Brady Oldman. Is that right? Correct. Yep, from Hill Varsity. Yeah, that I missed a lot. lot. That's like, feels like that was a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that was um, three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was trying to make it to that show, but I was traveling that day and it just didn't happen. But um, mm. great to have a few weeks off. Um, enjoyed a lot of bowl games. We'll talk a little bit about our bowl pick them. And catch up on everything that's been going on in in the uh, world of Husker football and sports in general. Um, anything else we want to cover before we break in? No, let's get going with it. All righty. Well, Boots of the week. Yeah. Well, here we'll start with the number one is just the bowl pick'em, just to catch everyone up here. Uh, congratulations to the top five of the Go Big Redcast bowl pick'em in total, guys. This is awesome, Dave. You set this up. 144 players this year joined it. Um, I think last year, a couple years ago, you set it up and like you, you, uned, you know, uned, uh, you didn't mean to, but you had like some cap on it and like you made sure there was no cap this year and boom, we 144 yeah. players in. So that's a, that's outstanding. Um, a score to Shart, which is only appropriate name, uh, is the victor of it. So a score to Shart, we have not heard from you yet. We just posted this yesterday. Um, our top five victors uh, get uh, get some prizes that we'll go through here. But uh, a score to Shart was number one. KD PhD 36 picks ones. That, that was number two. Shy City Mike is number three. And Mike has already reached out, so we'll be getting him his prizes. Uh, number four was Big Pappy 10s pick one. And number five is eventual winner. And I guess he called it, or he or she called it, because eventual winner was a winner, number five. And as far as the... With the Redcast grouping goes, uh, producer Skip finished 11th, just outside the top 10. Uh, gra- I totally forgot this, but I or I went over this first, but graphic designer Swobes was 21. My wife, Kathy, was number 49. Uh, Redcast <laughs> Dave was right behind uh, my wife there, 51. Rob was at 55. And then Boomer coming in the back there at 71. Yeah, I, I- Forgot to set my uh, confidence points. I kind of forgot about this to the last minute. Went through, picked all the bowls, and then forgot to go back and adjust that. But whatever. I still got 24 to 19. Wasn't terrible. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. thought it, it, it was interesting this year. Like, I picked I, – I set everything up right off the bat, made my picks. And then as the bowl season went on, I would be listening to different podcasts and paying attention because picking bowl games have has changed, right? There's all these opt-outs. 
that if you aren't paying attention, there's a team that can suddenly have a starting quarterback or a couple of players out and completely changes the dynamic. The line moves dramatically. And if you're not paying attention, you might have that as a, as a higher pick and um, you, you shouldn't. And it's, I really, I made the adjustments on my, my bets, but I didn't go back and change my confidence points. It's all about the confidence. I like that. Yeah. But the, yeah. the top five here, if you all can reach out to us again, like I said, I know Shy City Mike did. Uh, we have different prizes, different uh, ones for each each spot. In fact, I guess that kind of leads into our sponsors here. And let me go up here. And the first one, Alumni Hall. We have two Alumni Hall sponsor, or, uh, gift cards, a $50 one and a $25 one for the first and second place people. Uh, smack and smooch they created uh some shirts and some koozies that will also be going out to to the people and then everyone gets a pipeline jerky and if you go to pipeline-jerky.com use redcast uh, at checkout you get 10 percent off but you will get let me move that you'll get some pipeline jerky and i told them i would do a live taste test here so let's see i'm gonna see if i can get the, the bag open number one Ah, why do I always do this? This is exciting this? stuff right here, folks. <laughs> this is working your unboxing. Riveting podcast. Yeah, there. there we go. All right. Here we go. And I, by the, the way, flavor? I'm having the beef, beef jerky peppercorn. The other one, they have a, uh, a pork one. That's like a honey barbecue one. Mm. It's a, uh, it's How's the mouth feel. Mm, good feel. It's creamy with like an earthy undertone. Um, you can really taste the rosemary. Mm. Oh, boomer! This is this is delicious. I'm sure it is. And you know what rosemary is? <laughs> no, I have no oh, idea. Okay. But <laughs> but each of the winners there will get a bag of pipeline jerky sent to them. Uh, first and second place get the jerky plus uh, some shirts and then and then uh, the gift cards. Also, first place actually gets a uh, future guest hosting position on uh, one Redcast as well, so we can uh, make that nice. work for for them. So, I, I would want to point out with our um, our number one winner there, a score uh, that that percentile, both of them actually number one and two, ninety nine point six. I mean, that is a that's in the uh, the ESPN. Um, which has millions of entries. That's a really impressive score. So, I mean, not only did they win the Redcast, but um, a, a pretty darn good showing uh, nationally, I would say. Mm-hmm. They have an educated fan base, Dave. They're they're pretty yes. good. So, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> partly due to us and listening to us, right? Oh, I think so. That's a given. So. Yeah. Well, Kathy made a point to say she's never listened to any of our stuff, and she finished third. But that's... <laughs> yeah, but she has to listen to you all the time, just on the side. Yeah. You probably are talking football, just like mumbling to yourself half the time. She probably just picks that up through osmosis. <laughs> that is very true. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's get to the tweets of the week here, Dave. And uh, uh, it starts with you know this was just a fun one that I did yesterday. And is is this heaven? No, it's Nebraska. And and there was a beautiful day out in Lincoln on this was Monday or Tuesday. The sky was perfect, so I went into to the stadium and it just felt it felt anew. It's a new state, a new season, a new year, you know, and uh, refreshed after you know three weeks off of doing this, Dave, and ready to get going here. And uh, I thought that this was a great way to start. Boomer sent this out right after this is on January first. He goes, "Things we learned this weekend in college football." 
Number one, teams need clock management coordinators. DMs are open, rates reasonable. Number two, <laughs> targeting is important until the playoffs, in which case it can be ignored. Three kick field goals if it's uh, early in games and take the points. So, Boomer, uh, talk talk through those three because uh, I think they're all very valid points. Yeah, it depends which one you want to start with. I mean, a lot of these especially stem from watching, you know, Michigan and Ohio State, those games especially. But you saw it in a wide variety of bowl games. Uh, you know, clock management, we talked about it all year. We see it at the end of, end of halves where – coaches just make some bizarre decisions whether it's saving timeouts they don't need you know you can't take them to half or just calling odd play choices when it's you know in crunch time it, it happens over and over and you know you know we always joke about it but there probably is a need for you know somebody on the sidelines you know whether it's an analyst at some point or you know someone there to say hey coach here's the time here's what we should probably do you know work on this stuff in practice just to have it there to bring it up. I mean we've seen it as a Husker fans in various games this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tar- yep Dave did you want to Oh, I just want to say that the Denver uh, Broncos head coach actually hired someone to help him out with that. Didn't really work out that well, but, um, you know. <laughs> Didn't that end up coaching the last couple games after they fired the head coach? Wasn't the the, the clock management guy the, the interim <laughs> no, I coach? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think so. the clock management guy was to blame for the trade for Russell Wilson, no. Dave. So, yeah, no, no, that's yeah, a good so point, it's too. Not his that's fault, a good point, so. Yep. And, and targeting, you know, we saw that in both the big games with, uh, you know, Michigan and TCU yeah. that, targeting at the end of the game I you know whether it would have changed the results probably not but I mean that was pretty clearly a targeting call I don't know how any other game I think in the season yeah. they would have called that and then the I one agree. in Ohio State and Georgia which I think really did have a major impact on the game huge impact yeah I, that is you know some people are arguing well he didn't quite hit him with his helmet but you still can't hit guys in the head you know that's part of the whole targeting thing and I think most people would probably agree that they would have called that in the regular season. If it was just any other game, they probably Feels would have like called it. that. I mean, yeah. I don't think so. And just because it's the playoffs, you know, you've got to, you've got to call penalties the same. I mean, we need to get consistent yeah. with what targeting is, make it so it's clear. It doesn't take these, you know, 20 minute reviews and, you know, hashing everything out. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that makes a big difference. And if we think yeah. of that targeting play, if they wouldn't have waved that flag off, everyone talks about how, you know, TCU clearly didn't belong in that title game against Georgia. Well, Georgia wouldn't have been in it at all. Had they, yeah, that's you know, right. I'm pretty sure Ohio State would have, what they had had another four shots at the end zone. Right. And, Correct. you know, that's an extra four points. They'd have won that game. They wouldn't have had to try that 50-yard field goal at the end. I mean, that's how big that penalty was. And that's mm-hmm. just something that college football needs to figure out. What is targeting? How clear is it going to be? You know, it shouldn't take long to define. And then the field goals early in games, we saw that, you know, especially with Michigan. Drive that huge opening drive they had, drive all the way down there and fail to score. Three. And that kind of set the tone for everything being just a disaster after that. Things just kept falling out. You know, it was a huge good drive and you got nothing out of it. And that gave TCU life and just kind of put you behind the eight ball a little bit if you're Michigan, kind of set you behind schedule. So I, you don't need to force things, especially in those scenarios. If you're the the better team, and as Michigan probably is, you know, eight times out of 10, they'll probably beat TCU, but they set themselves up for failure in that game. And that's just a good lesson for teams in general. Just If there's mm-hmm. points there, don't you don't have to force things. Just take them early, yep. get get your points. Celebrate mm-hmm. that and move on. So, but there's mm-hmm. some things ahead. Yeah. You I know, think that that obviously... is. Oh, sorry. Oh, go man. ahead. No, I was just going to mention that. I mean, obviously, the championship game was a bust, but the two semifinal games were some of the best, you know, funnest college football games. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they didn't turn out in the favor of the Big Ten, but um, they are a lot of fun to watch and it was a, a really good New Year's Eve night. Yeah, it was, it was a great start to it. And, and we'll get to that in just a second, even a little bit more about Bulls versus. Uh, uh, you know, having a, a expanded playoff, which we're going to. Boomer, to your last point about the uh, 
about the targeting. I thought this was interesting. I had, again, I posted one of yours. You said, if you're not going to confirm targeting in the playoff games, when you've called in the regular season, you really need to reconsider the rule. And then Brandon Stokely even wrote, uh, we need to do it like soccer, get a yellow card for targeting unsportsmanlike penalties. You get two, you're gone. The game moves so fast. 99% of players are trying to do the right thing, but damn, it's football. The, the rules need to be fixed. I, I'm curious there too, you know, like it, you think back to the old days of, of face masks, there used to be two different, a, fi- a five yard and a 15 yard, and they could differentiate between intent and how bad it was and everything. Can something like that be done too with, um, with targeting to, to some extent, you know, where it's like, you know, not every, not all two hits of the head are the same. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, the, the whole concept of a yellow card with it, or at least it, comparing it to that. But to yeah. Dave's point here, let's move on to the uh, to the bowl games here. And uh, I want to post something that uh, Redcast Amy, she posted this, and I, I thought this was really good. She said, NIL and Transfer Portal finally convinced me it's okay to move on from the bowl game structure I knew and loved back in the day. I'm ready for playoffs and trying to build something new and good. And I, I was thinking about that, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. there have been so many changes over the last 10 years. And this is the first year for me where I really started looking at bowls and – they just, they almost don't seem to fit or, or so many guys are, you know, sitting them out and like boomer. I have, you guys know, I have fought the the playoffs for a number of years. Okay. Let's leave it four, but that's it. Or maybe let's make it six. But then with all these, you know, steps along the way to get to six, now we're getting to 12 and I'm almost looking at going, shoot, go 24, you know, get more teams involved because the bulls are becoming in some ways a little bit un- unwatchable. Certain bulls are, and then certain bowls were great. Like you said, Dave, the, the two championship games on December 31st were great. There were a couple of really good individual bowls. And then surrounded by a bunch that had guys that had transferred out and, you know, and guys that aren't playing. And it's just like, the, I don't know. I, the bowl system just doesn't feel right teams. anymore. Yeah, yeah well, and that's it. Oh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. No, no, go go for a boomer. I'll follow no, you. Just, that is one of the challenges with bowls, the way it's situated is, you know, there is – I guess people say, oh, we've devalued the bowls. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what a playoff was going to do. I mean, that's what we wanted, and that's fine. And that is a question of what you do with them now. You know, one of the thoughts that we used to have was, uh, you know, maybe with bowls you let, you know, it shouldn't count against a redshirt. Is that something, is that a pr- approach mm-hmm. we could take? I, I think that might not be a bad idea. You know, the challenge is how do you work that with the playoff? Do playoff games count, you know, against a redshirt too? Because then, you know, that could add some questions. To it, but that would be something if you want to keep them around, you need some reason to, to have some Bull, interest to it because that is like they're part of this season. It seems like they're almost mm-hmm. next season, is what they are. So maybe we should kind of start treating them that way and just not even count them towards anything if you want to have bowls at all, which I'm not convinced we have to have them, but I guess you got to well, fill TVs somehow. So sure, sure, yeah. Well, that and I mean, so it's interesting in the sense of like, you're right, I mean, bowl season is obviously changed since we were kids, there's no doubt. Um, and there's, there's more of them and the sponsorships have taken over and all that type of stuff. Um, and obviously they don't mean as much because they're not necessarily outside of a few of them deciding who actually is the national champion. Uh, you know, I, I think from, from my perspective in a state that allows betting, it was interesting. This is the first bowl year. I really was able to get into that. Um, and, 
and it changes your perspective just on the engagement level, right? I mean, like, you know, I mean, like the Rose Bowl, for example, wasn't that exciting of a game, but I had I had money on the uh, the over. <laughs> it went right down to the last second, and everybody watching the game with me is all rooting for it because you know we made a big deal like oh you know Gasters has got the over in this game and are they, are they going to get it right and um it, you know so uh from the TV and and the idea of of sports betting even any any product especially ones that have isolated time um uh, time allotted to them where it, it, you have those those um windows it's it, it it can be a lot of fun that way right and so you know everything will continue to evolve right and so i mean if you know eventually nebraska has has sports betting that you can do that on you, you might find random bowl games on tuesday nights in late december interesting again mm-hmm. <laughs> well i thought this was a we'll finish up twitch tweets of the week here this was one with uh, nick wellman and he goes and this was kind of a fun little discussion if we travel back in time to 1960 and started a 12-team playoff, then is Nebraska's number of national championships different than five? And you know, I had a little bit of time to think about it, and I think out of those five years that we've had, I would say, generally speaking, I think the number, if we had a 12-team playoff since then, would be somewhere five or greater. I think we would at least have five still, and and I can go off of that. Going, I feel really confident with 71. 94, 95, 97. Those four of the five, I think, would would have done very well in there. And then I could name a number of seasons, 82, 83, I think 93. I think 96, you know, would have made a 12-team playoff after losing to Texas in that inaugural Big 12 title game. I think at 99, uh, that team by the end of the year. So there were some teams, yeah, I think, that would have fared really well if there would have been an option like that, um, that I think we'd at least keep the five and, and probably – maybe even add one or more during that time. You guys have thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. I was trying to, you know, my starting point was, okay, if we're sticking with the five, are there any five that I don't think we would have won that we that we did? And, you know, 1970 was probably the, the one question I did have. I mean, there were a lot of good teams. Mm-hmm. In 1970, that would have been an interesting uh, challenge. Um, you know, 94, I guess you'd always have that question with Penn State was really good. I mean, I don't know how that right. would have happened. You know, sure. I think 99 probably – could have won a national championship in a, in a playoff scenario. I'd feel pretty confident they might even been favorites going into something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been markedly different. It would be interesting to go back and just see, you know, who the 12 teams would have been, you know, in that sort of scenario, you know, maybe that's sure. something, you know, if we have some, someone's going to do that. Yeah. We'll yeah. Go back and do that. I mean, you'd have to account for the fact that, you know, groups of five are going to be a very different thing than who's going to be in. Yeah. You know, it might be a little hard yeah. to figure it, you know, there's going to be, you know, big East is still a thing, the Southwest conference. You know, yeah, there's going to be a lot I of think, different variables on it, but you could probably just you know grab the AP top twelve or so and throw the whatever group of five is in there, and it'd be interesting to see how that's set up. And you know, if Nebraska didn't play Miami at all in eighty, you know, in eighty three, you know, do we win? Yeah, they might. I mean, I don't know, but there were a couple other good teams that same year too. I mean, Texas would probably say we had a shot at that year too, and you know, whoever else. But, yeah, yeah, it, it'd be a lot of fun to you know see something like that work out. So kind of a shame it never yeah. happened. So. I think that's where the the variability of a playoff makes it a little hard, right? I mean, like you'd like to think that we would have all five of those titles, but to Boomer's point, there's a lot of variability on what happens in a, especially in a 12 team playoff, where you might get an upset, you know, for mm-hmm. or against you, right? And 
in the sense of, I mean, look at this year. I mean, like I, to Boomer's point, if Michigan and TCU played 10 times, I think Michigan would have won eight of those games. They just didn't win the game that, that they needed to win. Right. Sure. And, and then, then Georgia blows, blows their doors off. Right. Um, and it, you know, I mean, if TCU and Georgia played, I bet Georgia might win all 10, but maybe not one, maybe TCU would have just the right mojo mm-hmm. one time to, to make something happen. Right. And that's sometimes what you need. Right. And, and that's why I was like the NCAA basketball tournament. There's, you know, eight seeds that have won it, right? North Carolina last year had no business being in that title game. They got hot. Everything came together at the end of the year. Um, I loved that their preseason number one. I was like, what the hell are they doing preseason number one? They weren't <laughs> that good last year for most of the year. Um, I, I think they might be all right again by the end of this year, but they're they're struggling right now, right? Um and so I think we'll see that in, in college football eventually where there is some of that variability where someone's going to get knocked off that you wouldn't expect. And uh, to your point, there's no guarantee that we would have all five of those, but there's a good shot that we might have one or two more. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is the only, if going back to 1960, if the only way that you would win it is you had to be in that 12, how many times would Nebraska have been in there? I mean, you can't win if you're not in it. And all the time. Nebraska would have been in it a lot. And that is something yeah. that, again, for the, the people that forget why we're a blue blood, it, there were a lot of years where that was just a foregone conclusion. We would have been in that playoff every just year. about every single season. So we would at least have a shot every time. Whether we win it or not, that's a whole that's a whole different thing. Yeah, you um, have to almost think of the season where we weren't in the top three in the big eights. And I, how often would that ever, ever happen? Oh, uh, I mean, it was, it was nope. very – very rare. Yeah. Um, I did want to close tweets of the week with this. Uh, for all those way too early preseason top 25 lists out there, 15 of the preseason top 25 in this year's poll finished outside the polls. So just remember that when you get really worked up about your team being left off or undervalued in your mind. Uh, preseason polls are fun and people can have some fun with them. But my goodness, if, the, if these are the experts and the experts didn't even get half of the, the preseason 25 right, that 15 of them ended up not being in the, the – the end of the season top 25 you know it puts things in perspective yeah really extraordinary hunk i mean i looked at that and i I looked at that and i really started looking at the numbers and you know so one through five preseason all made the top 25 and i mean Mm -hmm. several of them obviously made the playoffs so that all all makes sense but after there it really falls off and you do have numbers i guess seven and eight made it (laughs) but then after that I mean, look at that. I mean, after 10, all, the only teams that are ranked below 10 that made it apparently was preseason ranked 11, 14, 17, 17. and that's it. Yeah. 18 through 25 all yeah. off. And to, and to Boomer's point, and to Boomer's point, plucky underdog Georgia somehow managed to make it to uh, to the playoffs. So they, totally, and they, they were totally preseason three, so. Yep. It, but it's someone like AM to underachieve. It's, it's amazing <laughs> that they, you know, fell that far. But yeah, it uh, just shows how much variability there is, especially on the kind of that the bottom half of well, heck, on the bottom half, the bottom two thirds of you know that college football. There always yeah. does seem to be that kind of like a lot of announcers or pundits are talking about. There just seems to be a huge separation between the top handful of programs and then everybody else. I mean, you just have all those teams that. Any of those seem like reasonable top, you know, 12 to 25 picks, and none of them made it, and they all got swapped out for somebody else. It's kind of crazy. But in the top yeah, five teams or like TCU there, or Tulane yeah. had, had great years, and yeah, yeah. amazing. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to Scarlet Colored Glasses, and we have some good news tonight, guys. Uh, and I'm sure some of the, the listeners and followers right now are ready for it. 
Walter Rouse uh, from Stanford, uh, just committed tonight, offensive tackle transfer. And uh, this tweet here was from Black Shirts last weekend saying a massive opportunity to land some impact players. And last weekend we had uh, three big transfers, Kemp, the wide receiver from Virginia, Mascua from uh, uh, offensive interior offensive lineman from Baylor, and then Rouse. Um, Rouse was a starter since 2019. Mascua was a 10-game starter in, in 2022. He ended up going to Florida. And then Kemp, the wide receiver who also transferred here, uh, he had 192 catches, 1,774 yards, and eight touchdowns in his career at Virginia. And here is his commitment uh, tweet. Uh, he was holding up three jerseys, the jerseys of the, the players that were uh, shot and killed at Virginia where he played last year. And that's the reason that he has the extra year. Um, he was initially going to go pro and then Virginia players, because they didn't play their last two games because of the shooting, the players were granted an extra season, which he then decided instead of going pro to, to go in the portal, give it one more season of college ball and, and ended up committing here. So really, I mean, if we just kind of start there, that's a, just in the transfer area, that is really impressive collection of, of, of guys that they brought in. And then we got two of the three. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Billy Kemp, this is going to be a sixth year of football. Um, uh, I mean, it's just there's so many of these guys that are playing so much. And I think NIL makes makes a difference as well uh, for them, you know, uh, to be paid to, to play football a, a little bit and to be able to potentially advance their their dreams. Of the NFL still um, looks like a great, great addition. Um, gives some depth there. He clearly a possession receiver he's he's not like a trey palmer or a samari ture who is going to you know break 80 yard touchdown uh, plays down the field but um you can tell with those type of numbers you can bring those numbers back up honky without even reading anything about uh billy Kemp. camp and he, he's 5'9 170 um and he's got you know years where he's had 67 and 74 catches a piece uh less than 10 yards a, a catch uh, that's a possession receiver right there, right? I mean, someone who mm-hmm. obviously their quarterback trusts um, can get open, um, probably can make the first guy miss. Doesn't sound like he's got breakaway speed. He, he's the longest, you know, you know, receptions are like thirty yards plus or minus. So um, he, but he's someone that that the quarterback uh, is going to go to when he needs a first down, and that's a valuable receiver to have on your roster. So it's a good yeah. Pick. Yeah, I reached out to to Who's H O O S Who's Football on Twitter, and it's that's a big uh, Virginia account, and they're great follow. And uh, I just asked him, you know, give me a little bit of info on him. And basically, he just said the same thing you did there, Dave. Good kid, solid possession receiver, not explosive at all, but reliable with good hands. Got lost in the shuffle last year with the coaching change. Would love to see him play for a team that he roots for. He goes. And uh, he got curious where Billy ranks historically at Virginia. He's number four all-time in receptions, number 10 in receiving yards. We threw the ball a lot while he was here, and uh, he did have a really nice career, he said. So uh, you know, that's straight from the from the fans' mouth over there in Charlottesville. And it's, you know, I think it fits what we're looking to do right now. It, it fills a need. We certainly need um, some more receivers there, uh, the offensive line we need. And then the other thing that should make our special teams coordinator Boomer very happy, he's a punt returner and he's, yep, he's uh, not scared to get out there and do that. Yeah, and that's something I think a rule is kind of been pitching is that you know he expects punts to be returned and not just you know not <laughs> this caught watching bounce overhead. So this is just another piece to that, and let's hope it's that a that novel idea, happens. Boomer. 
Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's crazy to talk, but it just might work. So next thing they're going to advocate for is a forward pass. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Iowa's still working on that. They've got some top men working on it right now. <laughs> no, we might have fullbacks for goodness sakes. Ah, uh, what the well, world? Well, in addition to the transfers that we got, we also had a couple hat ceremonies over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Cameron Lenhart and then Ethan Nation. Uh, both of them were at the Under Armour All-American game. Both of them picked Nebraska. There's only like four or five hat ceremonies at that All-Star game, and two of them come to Nebraska, which is really cool, including Ethan Nations right away, like two minutes into it. Had to wait to the fourth uh, quarter of it to watch Cameron Lenhart. And if that name is familiar to people, he was committed to Nebraska over the summer, decommitted at one point. So this is another example of Rule going back in and grabbing somebody that initially was a commit under the Frost era and then recommitting him. We saw that with Malachi Coleman. We see it with Jabari Butler going into the to the portal and then coming back out and, and staying. So Rule has shown an ability so far to you know go back and, and try to maintain some of the relationships that we've had with players or recruits in the past that he wasn't even you know recruiting at the time. He wasn't here at the time. And he's had some success in, in re-recruiting them and getting them to stay and come back. So that's, I guess I'll say that's impressive. And it helps they had a hat already on hand. So <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. Well, and they were committed back in December. So they've, they signed already because the second that they um, announced on the TV, then all of a sudden the Huskers accounts posted it too. So they were already, you know, right. silent, silent, not verbal commits, but they had already signed. So, um, I believe that they're also both going to be here then in spring ball for the off season. As we've talked about so many times before, right. if you're going to be a major player next season, getting here in January and being here through the, the off season is, is just so crucial. And, um, and that's, and that's what we presume with our, both uh, Walter Rouse and with Ben Scott, right? The other offensive line transfer, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's going to be a big, big piece of the puzzle is if they can shore up the offensive line, we get, get healthy there um, and have some competition. Uh, hopefully we uh, have a better uh, O-line going forward. Absolutely. And then the last piece here with Scarlet Colored Glasses talking about recruiting, this is a tweet from Greg Smith and he goes, the new Husker staff is building an impressive defensive class. Good luck, uh, good luck picking a favorite between Leonard, Ethan Nation, Eric Fields, Princewell, Umama Malin, Ramir Stewart, Riley Van Poppel, Maverick Newton, Dwight Boodle, and others. It's, it is a good crew, and, and these are high school kids. So in addition to the fact that we're going, you know, we're going to be working out of the portal and trying to get individual guys that you can transfer in and, and, and spot fill a, a need, uh, that's not to say that we're not going after the high school kids too, and this is still going to become a developmental program that's been very important to rule from the beginning. But uh, that it's an impressive class there of names, at least so far on the defensive side, and and we're going to need it. So, is there anybody, any other spots I should say, Honky, that you're looking at that maybe we we haven't got um, uh, enough? Uh, folks from the transfer portal into anything else that, that you might see shake out um, before this window closes? Transfer portal wise, I, you know, I, I think the O-line was their main focus. And we talked so much last off season about how that was kind of premium. You know, if you could get an O-lineman that the Vanderbilt guy last year transferred to Alabama, but there was very right. few of them out there. And for this year, for us to go after, you mentioned Ben Scott, and we almost forget about him because it's been all of three don't, weeks yeah. since he, but don't. That guy's your center next year. And Most we were likely, talking yeah. a little bit before we went on, Dave, you and I were just throwing out some names. It's like, well, what are your top four or five 
linemen potentially right away, just without even assigning them a position. And, you know, Scott would be up there. I think Rouse coming in here now, you've got to throw him up there. Newly, who when I talked with Rob Zaska at the beginning of last season, he said there were two players on the team he thought that could play at a Georgia or any place in the country. And he said Prohaska and uh, Newly. And Newly, of course, had just been suspended. So, you know, it was kind of a it was a bad feeling at that mm-hmm. moment because we knew we weren't going to have him. Well, he's back. If you read his Twitter feed, I mean, he's back and he says something about, you know, he's excited to get back and, and uh, you know, he's ready to prove everyone. And that's great. So Newly, Scott, Rouse, Prohaska. I mean, those are four guys that when we played – Iowa a month and a half ago we didn't have yeah. and now now they're they're guys that should be here in the offseason competing and then I, I really want to see strength and conditioning wise what we can do to maybe get some bend in some guys uh, the Ben Hart's and the Lutovskis and, and those guys it'll be interesting to see what a, a new approach to strength and conditioning can do with those guys too so yeah yeah short term obviously yeah there's a, definitely some potential there hopefully they can make some strides here in the offseason and um I, I mean, if if we exceed expectations next year, it probably starts with this offensive line. There you go. Well, let's exceed expectations talking about the offense, scoring explosion. And it starts right now with the coaching staff that has been fully announced now. Now we have it all out there. Um, today they – Forever. Uh, <laughs> it, did, it did. I guess when you're going after NFL guys and you have those rules or whatever that you have to, to abide by. But uh, – we can officially say offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, special teams. You could list him on defense too, but we we have him here. Ed Foley, running backs, EJ Barthel, O-line, Donovan Rayola, wide receivers is Garrett McGuire, tight ends, Bob Wager. Um, and then we have some of the strength and conditioning and some of the assistant coaches that are listed here too. But when we look at this, and Dave, I'll start with you here. The offensive coordinator, Satterfield, we heard him on the intro of the show, and, we, and he had his chance to, to talk last Friday, the presser, what were your initial thoughts on him and, and did it change any of your feelings or, or get you excited or, or what are you thinking? Yeah, that, it was interesting. I mean, I think uh, you can see that Marcus Satterfield um, takes his um, um, uh, public relations training from Matt Rule and says all the right things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Very good to, to say how they're going to run the ball and they're going to have a full back and they're going to huddle and, um, football should be played a certain way, all those type of things that um, is quote-unquote red meat for Husker fans. Um, oh God, obviously, yeah. we also are a, a bit jaded, and we want to just see it on the field, right? So um, let's, I'm excited to actually see, see spring practice and, and spring football game and just kind of see what that actually kind of looks like. Um, and so that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's a little bit different sounding than what he's done elsewhere, Um Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's also a trait of, of Matt Rule to adapt his uh, offensive system to kind of the talent and um, the environment that he's operating in. Obviously, uh, Temple was a pro-style system, and he switched to more RPO um, in at Baylor. And, it, you know, I, I still imagine we're going to have RPO because of um, who they've gone after from a, a transfer quarterback position. But, it, you know, you're hearing the OC say it's going to be pro-style. So, should be interesting. Yeah, and, and pro style, what does that exactly mean? Is there RPO sure. involved with that, or is that, does that I mean, mean something look, different? Pro style, Justin Fields in Chicago ran for 1,000 yards this year. Mm-hmm. Did you run for 1,000 yards at Ohio State ever? No, nowhere no. near it, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jalen Hurts in the first quarter against yeah. <laughs> against Green Bay in the first quarter had 100 yards rushing alone. You know, that's a, 
that is a pro style quarterback in in today's world too. I went over last night to to Max's house, and we were <laughs> we'll get to basketball a little later, but we we were watching a little bit of it. But then we when it got bad, we just switched on um, YouTube and we just started watching a bunch of games from Temple. Then we watched a. Uh, we watched two games from Temple, one early on and then a Penn State one in 2016, kind of saw the progression. Then we watched a Baylor game, and you do get to see some of the different things they were doing. I watched some some South Carolina last year, and for all the talk of, you know, we're going to huddle, they weren't huddling. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it's it's interesting. I, I like the idea, the concept of huddling. I actually feel like that's something that I have been saying enough times on this show where, you know, slow it down. at times with mm-hmm. procedures, so yeah. It, just a communications thing, right? I mean, that's, and I liked how in the presser he made reference of saying like the huddle is this great moment where, you know, magical things happen and guys leadership gets formed and blah, blah, blah. And it's, but I think more magical to me is lining upright and not jumping off and just making sure everyone's in the right spot. Like some very basic things that sometimes get lost when you are stopping at the line of scrimmage, turning around, looking at the sideline, looking at cards, um, of of all the people that I've heard be very critical of that, it was Osborne, and it was probably in a – he was doing some show I heard. It was, it was before Frost got here. But I me- remember him being very critical of the whole concept of getting up to line scrimmage, stopping, looking at the side, looking at these big these big sheets. Right. And I'm sitting there in my head yeah. thinking, well, that's – but that's what – that's what Frost is doing, you know, all the time at UCF or, or Oregon, where he was at that time. Um, but yeah, Osborne wasn't digging that. And what I liked about what Nebraska used to do back in the nineties, back in the eighties, all that, they would line up, huddle up about three yards off the line of scrimmage closer than a typical huddle would be. Most people would huddle five, six, seven yards. We, uh, we would line up like three yards off and it was, everything was about speed and they would run a, a play in with a player. The play wasn't 82 words, like a, you know, a Bill Callahan West Coast play, and we would get lined up more times than not with about twenty to twenty-five seconds on the clock under Osborne, yeah. and that says a lot because nobody would have called us a tempo team. We weren't fast-paced; we were huddling, but it was just efficiency. Get in there, get in, get out. The the efficiency there was I remember that hunk is that the offensive line just turned around and like they were already in position practically yep. right. Boom. Yep. Quarterback walks up looks both sides and hikes the ball, right? Yeah, real simple. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the fullback thing, I think you said it perfect, Dave, that it was, this is red meat for Husker fans. But if you went on Twitter right away after Satterfield talked, there were some people that were critical of like, well, what teams out there are running a fullback and have fullbacks out there today? And and I'm like, look, the fullback position by nature is, isn't an every down back. I, even when he says that we're going to run a fullback or have a fullback next year, right. In my mind, I still think of, okay, about 25% of the plays, maybe. We're talking short yardage, goal line, occasional plays kind of throughout, but that's typically how a a fullback is used. And you can go back to the Osborne era, and it wasn't used a whole lot more than that. Osborne made a point when he talked to us last year about saying how many formations they would run. And a lot of those formations didn't include fullbacks. When you're getting into trips and five wides and ace sets and double slots, I mean, you're not – having a fullback on the field. So um, I love the option of it. I love having the ability to put a fullback out there. Um, It'll be interesting what we do to recruit that. Do we just, do we go back to recruiting walk-ons for it? Do you switch a a backup, you know, player at another position? Like a, I can definitely see like a Snodgrass or someone like that, maybe being an option, you know, for this immediate, you know, future at a spot like that. 
Boomer, I think there might have been a, a, a fan question uh, related about about the fullback. I, I wanted to ask one first, though, Honky, in the sense of like, to your point of it, how often is the fullback actually on the field, and is it a true fullback in the, our minds of, of mm-hmm. it being Corey Schlesinger or Macavick um, <laughs> or something like that? Uh, and, and how much of it is a, a that, that H back type position too, right? That mm-hmm. maybe it's a body type that's a a shorter tight end gets converted or whatever, right? We don't have too many of those short tight ends, but um, it, it maybe necessarily can do a lot more than just the traditional I formation fullback position that you're thinking about. Yeah, I think when when someone thinks of just the tra- absolute traditional fullback, you have Schlesinger in your mind, you have a guy like maybe Rathman, you know, big bruising guy, and that's great. And I also think you can have multiple fullbacks on the team and have different body types. So you can have that yep. traditional guy, and then you can think of a guy like Janovich, who came from Gretna, a kid, a, the type of kid, a profile that is not, you know, necessarily unique to Nebraska. I think we can we can get more kids like that coming through the, the high school ranks to, to come up here. But I would challenge anyone go out and watch that UCLA bowl game uh, when we were five and seven. We played UCLA and ran it all over them. Uh, watch how, of all things, how Mike Riley and, and Danny Langsdorf how they utilized. Uh, a very athletic fullback in Janovich. He played some traditional fullback roles, but then there were times he was standing up in the shotgun right next to to Armstrong, maybe with a two-back. There'd be a Monty Cross on one side, and he'd be on the other side. There were times they did direct handoffs to him, things like that that, you know, depending on how athletic, to your point there, Dave, and then then you incorporate an H-back, like a tight end kind of guy in there, and now maybe you have more of a receiving fullback. So you can do different things. I just like the element. I love the option of being able to put those players on the field. And to me, I think it's creative because right now, you know, you go back to Nebraska a season ago and when you're just trotting out the same formation time and time and time again, the same personnel packages, Hey, we're going to be three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back every single play. Mm -hmm. To me, there's not a lot of creativity. And that was something that Osborne always made a point of, Hey, we're going to line up five wides one day, one play. And the next one, we're going to have a full house backfield with two tight ends. And that's a lot for defense to have to, to prepare for. Sure. Yeah, and sure. I I think we kind of saw an example of this, you know, a team utilizing just different formations, including some of the fullback in this bowl season. If anybody watched Penn State in the Rose Bowl, there yeah. were several plays where they came out in a full T formation, which is really going old school when you've got, you know, two halfbacks and a fullback back there. And I believe they scored on both of those possessions. I mean, They did? Uh, they don't yeah. normally have a fullback on their plays, but that's kind of the example of what I'm kind of hoping we're doing is we're taking the opportunities to mix in fullbacks and, and different schemes like this. It's not going to be an all-the-time thing, but yeah, do it when makes sense. That's a really good point, Boomer. Uh, you know, back to Satterfield saying it's a pro-style offense, right? I mean, you look at the, the – it's a copycat league, the NFL, right? And the fullback does have a role now. I mean, even someone like Johnny Stanton, a former Nebraska quarterback, plays fullback and is and having a career in the NFL and like this whole thing of being able to to push your your ball carrier forward right you know the idea of like having some bigger guys in the backfield to just push your quarterback across the goal line (laughs) that seems like a pretty easy way to get a a quarterback sneak across and get six points it was a running joke that I was posting during bowl season but it wasn't so much a joke I mean how many times did we see teams when it was fourth and short or fourth and goal or whatever or in their own end zone like USC did in their in, in their bowl game, and they line up in a shotgun snap and handoff, and they don't even come close to making it. Well, that's why. This is what these formations are for. 
have those kind of things. Yes, you know, when you have those fullbacks, yep. you can push your guy over, have those extra running backs back there to block and move and shove guys around. That's what I want to see out of this. And a lot of teams just don't seem to do that. And I, I don't quite mm-hmm. understand why, but it, it mm-hmm. just is. So. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt Payne here asked, you know, if they bring the fullback position, uh, bring it back. Do you recruit for that position directly? Do you move a current running back into that role? Uh, you know, again, in the very interim time, you might just try to find whoever you have right now on the on the team. Maybe you have a big back. Now, obviously, we don't have Yant anymore as an example, but just because you're a big back doesn't mean you'd be a good fullback either. There's more than just, you know, size that's important. Um, explosiveness and, and you know, the physicality piece of it is, is really important there. But, you know, I would also say this is a – anytime there's a coaching change that happens, you have new coaches with new eyes on guys, you have new strength and conditioning, and they do things differently with players – I've got an example of this a little bit later. I think that'll bring up, but um, it's it, that's where I'm intrigued by a guy, maybe like a Snodgrass, who has you know he's been in the program for five years. He's he's fallen down the depth chart in the linebacking crew. Maybe maybe he works his way back up there. Maybe not. But he on offense when he was in high school, the kid played quarterback basically in a wing tee. He was a runner, you know, and and it would be it would be interesting to see like does somebody like that fall into a new position. I think, uh, you know, Cody Glenn made that. He went from being a running back to a, a linebacker, uh, you know, his last mm-hmm. season here. There's examples where you can go the other way. So it's similar body types, and you're just trying to find some spots. But I think with walk-ons, this is a great position. Fullback is a great position always to try to bring on a couple of walk-ons. And let's see if we can get that developmental program going that uh, that they've talked so much about. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a running back that takes his job. I mean, he doesn't have any mm-hmm. eligibility left, but I thought somebody like Chancellor Brewington would have made an excellent, you know, fullback yep. oh, in this kind of right. scenario. If we'd have done this block. last year, which mm-hmm. probably would have been a good way to get him more involved in the game. But yeah, well, I wasn't the mm-hmm. coach last year, so whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, we uh, we've showed the the coaching staff, and we'll have plenty of time over the off season to get more in depth on individual guys. One guy, and this is a, a tweet from Parker. Uh, this is in reference. Guess, to guess who, Garrett uh, McGuire, the new uh, wide receivers coach, who's 23 years old. Uh, he said, uh, this coach has been around for football for 20 years. He's breaking down film for 15 plus years, raised by a successful head coach. Uh, his head coach is, or his dad is Joey McGuire, who like Bob Wager, the, the tight ends coach at Nebraska, who came from Texas high school, uh, hit, uh, Garrett's dad, Joey, came from a high school directly to work for Rural at Baylor and is now the head coach at Texas Tech. Um, anyways, uh, he goes on, Parker goes on, three years of D1 football, communicated plays on the headset, two years of professional coaching experience, and he's developing his own offensive system. I, I think individually those are those are all great things. They may not be the, the, the same experience that we were probably expecting back when, um, you know, the staff was starting to get put together. In fact, a lot of people probably figured the guy that would be coaching this position was the guy that was coaching the team, when we played Iowa and obviously things have changed since then. So this wide receivers uh, coach is different than what we were probably initially expecting, but you know, Garrett, I think he does bring, he has, you know, certainly some good experience that he has even at a young age of 23. There are other examples of young coaches and I'm sure you've heard them. You've heard of, you know, Lincoln Riley being 24. I think he was when he, when he took over a wide receiver coaching position at Texas tech, I was even looking up uh, Bo Pelini, Bo was 26 years old when he left Cardinal Mooney High School, where he was the quarterback's coach, to go to San Francisco to be the defensive backs coach of the 49ers. So there are examples. That at the end of the day, it's do you have the right guy or not? Does this guy have the pedigree to, you know, if, if we're looking at Garrett 
um, McGuire in 10 years. And it's like, this dude's a head coach at, you know, USC. We're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, good, good job rolling. So I guess the one thing I can say for anybody that's too crazy about the, like that, this is just a, a horrible hire rule has at least shown in his past, the ability to, you know, co- uh, recruit some young guys, uh, coach uh, at coaches and kind of coach them up. He's also gone into the high school ranks like he did with uh, Garrett's dad, Joey. And now he's done with Bob wager where he's gone in the high school ranks to bring a guy up. So, at least he has experience doing this. Yeah, yeah that's one does. way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's a positive way to look at it, and, and there can be hope to that. You know, I my my major concern is there's a lot of coaches we have on staff that don't have a ton of you know experience being the head guy in that position. So I'm hoping Rule hasn't you know bitten off more than he can chew trying to manage the team and manage all these yeah. coaches you know it's different Good if point. it's just the wide receiver coach that's inexperienced and everybody else says you know a lot of time you know behind the wheel on that but it can work it it could fail you know we know everything can happen at this point so let's yeah. just see where it I'm, goes so. shock if you just simply add a, a few more lines here like five years of NFL experience you could just put scott frost uh, as this is his resume a decade ago <laughs> he could be our wide uh, receivers coach right yeah. you know i i think um, yeah, when I look at the the staff as as a whole, the if you focus on the coordinators, he brought in coordinators at at a high level for what we want. We he got power five city coordinators, yeah. guys that certainly I if if nothing else, they speak the language that he speaks. Anyone that listened to White or Satterfield last week talk, I mean, it is their their lockstep with with the head coach, who for what it's worth, sounds like. Trev talking. So, I mean, there's a, there's a connection across the the board. Um, I was listening to Hale varsity radio yesterday and Chris Schmidt was, had a uh, Mitch Sherman on and asked him, you know, what's your initial thoughts of this coaching staff and all the coaching changes. And Sherman said, he goes, well, I think it's, it's very functional. And then he, and he stops for a second. Cause he goes, I know that doesn't sound real, you know, sexy. That didn't sound great to call him functional, but he goes, the opposite of that is dysfunction. And that's what we've had at so many different levels at so many different times over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years. Sure. You'd be so close, but there's always some level of dysfunction somewhere along the line. And he's like, right now, you're not seeing any of any of those things happening. It's everyone seems to be lockstep in the same, you know, talking the same things, doing the same things. And and um, and I guess from a, a, a sp- pure posi- position standpoint, he said he wanted young guys. He's gotten guys that have a lot of recruiting background. So, I mean, they're guys that have had recruiting coordinator roles at different spots. So he wants young. He wants uh, recruiting guys. And I would also say it's a pretty diverse staff, probably as diverse of a staff as, as we've ever had at Nebraska. So, I mean, I think those are yeah. probably some of the initial goals that he was going after. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think – I mean, if we were having this conversation and, and we didn't know what the uh, – the salary pool was for assistant coaches, mm-hmm. it, it might have took on a different tenor from the get go. Right. Um, and we yep. don't really actually know what, what they're going to be paid in total. Uh, we know that he, he had a room for, for 7 million and it doesn't seem like the experience that's on the staff would justify a $7 million price tag. Um, eventually we're going to find out that number. Um, and that, that's what it, it kind of changed a little bit of the tenor of the conversation. I, right. I agree. I agree and, because it, it and that was that was announced. And was it Trev? Did Trev announce that? I think 
It wasn't like some I don't know if it was a part of what he said, but it definitely came out relatively early in the the rural coaching announcement. It it came out the day that he was being announced. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the big, and so if you go back to that moment, obviously there, I think a lot of people probably thought Pete was going to be involved with this coaching staff. He's staying with the Rams. Obviously, people thought at that moment Mickey Joseph would have been part of it too. Right. And then a couple of days later, you know, everything happened. So <clears throat> those were a couple of high dollar guys that that could have bumped this class or this re- coaching staff closer to that seven million number. Yeah. To your point, Dave. I, it, without having seen the numbers, it'd be shocking to see it be real close to seven now. But it also, we're starting to see a lot of these, you know, senior, a lot more like senior analyst guys, and analysts, and, right? And those guys that um, potentially maybe they've hired a couple more of those than they normally would have. And those guys can be, you know, six figure guys too. So you hire a couple more of those in the background. That's kind of a Georgia, Alabama thing to do. They have four well, guys. It, yeah. It sounds like there's going to, and maybe already happened, but there sounds like a, a rule change, which will allow those mm-hmm. analysts to actually coach in practice. They can't coach during the game. Um, and they can't go recruit obviously, but they, they can essentially coach, in practice, which really does change the dynamic there a lot. Of, you know, I mean, that, mm-hmm. when I heard that, it, it did give me a little bit of pause because, I mean, I, I don't say I've been hypercritical about this staff, but again, I was expecting a little bit different of a level of experience. We've said that, I mean, I, I do believe the Big Ten is a good um, league for, from a coaching perspective, and you can get out coached if you're not careful. We've seen that in the past. And and Garrett McGuire by himself doesn't have that much experience, right? And and I was like thinking to myself, great, he's energetic. He might be the next Lincoln Riley. That can he actually, you know, coach wide receivers? I don't know yet, right? He would. He didn't even play even wide receiver, right? So like, how good is he about? route trees and and catching the ball with your hands and all these drills that someone like a Mickey did, Joseph or a Keith it, Williams would have had like, you know, had 20 years of experience doing right. I'm just, did Lincoln, did Lincoln Riley receiver. play wide receiver? I'm, I'm genuinely curious about that. I don't know if I, no, I, I presumed he was a quarterback that did, wasn't good enough. And yeah, but to, so, I mean, our, our the outcomes here, we hope he's the next Lincoln Riley. Right. Sure. Or even Lincoln Riley's brother, who was he was at DC <laughs> until the last game of the we'll year. We'll take that. We'll um, take a cousin, right. even. Right. I've no recruiting wise. I don't. I mean, he he knows a bunch of players down in Texas because he's only a few years older than them. You know, how well does he? You know, uh, sell himself um, as you know, someone who uh, has control of the wide receiver room when he's. 20 years younger than the, than the, the parents that he's talking to. Right. But that's where Matt rule is going to, to boomers yep. point, probably have to spend additional time closing those things out and really being able mm-hmm. to sell the culture of the program until he can get his, um, his feet underneath him in that. And uh, yeah, you just hope for the best. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah. It's, we're going to find out. I would say this is the first time maybe, maybe under Riley would be like this, but this is the first time where I really see the head coach, coaching the coaches being a being a a ceo type where he's not so heavily involved in the x's and o's he's letting the coordinators run the x's and o's so maybe riley did more of that i don't know but i kind of thought it was langsdorf doing it and it was whoever the defensive coordinator was at the time whether a banker or diaco i i see rule doing that right now with his his coordinators you guys run the x's and o's and i'm gonna i'm gonna manage the program whether that means managing coaches that part of the job, or if it's closing on recruits, you know, part of the job too. Um, so we'll see. I mean, and one, if nothing else, these, these guys better be grinders. That's one thing. If you're 
recruiting, you better be able to identify guys because that recruiting's changed so much. Now with NIL, you're, I've yeah. heard some people say where it's, you're not really recruiting anymore. It's more about identifying players so that you can even get them to to to, to look at you because then once they come here, it's like, hey, if someone's sitting there going, well, here's 20000 here in the next place and you really like it, but the next place says here's 80000 <laughs> recruiting's hard when it's like, okay, see, I'm just going to go to the place that's going to give me 80,000. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we shouldn't be outbid too often. Um, no, you know, if the numbers are, are right on that. So we need to be able to have the right culture and the right atmosphere to, to make sure that that's not a, a, a detriment to that recruiting process. You know, a couple things really quick before we move on, Hunk. Um, mm-hmm. One with the, like the experience of the coaching staff is kind of, I, I was looking at like Bo Pelini when he hired his staff. Right. And, and he had like uh, Papuchas and Elker as like grad assistants from LSU that came in as, as position coaches, you know, and ultimately, you know, rose up. I mean, both of them maybe have been D quarters, D coordinators at some point in other schools. I mean, you know, special teams coordinators, Papuchas is at Florida state and Tennessee is where Eckler is. Right. Yeah. So now they're established position coaches, but they really got their starts at Nebraska. I don't know if they were necessarily any, they were like, they weren't a detriment per se, but I mean, Bo really wanted to have his guys in his Mm. system and, and, and so it's a little bit of that a, a approach, you know. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we had a few more slides on offense, but I think I'm going to – I love this new approach that we're doing with this this uh, kind of Google Slides. It's real easy just to, to push something to the next week. So we've got a couple more offensive things. We're going to push them to next week. Let's move on to the defensive side, throwing bones, and we'll start with the same thing right now, looking at the the coaching staff. And uh, defensive coordinator, Tony White, secondary coach, Evan Cooper, D-line, Terrence Knighton, and linebackers, Rob Dvoracek, who was announced today. And then we have a defensive analyst, Kevin McGrary, defensive quality control, Phil Simpson. I think we even had a couple more uh, analyst guys that we probably don't have listed there. Um, Dave, I'll start with you again here. Uh, if you had a chance, did you have a chance to listen to Tony White talk last week at the presser? A little bit, yeah. And I've obviously been, you know, trying to read up on on the three three five revolutionary <laughs> defense that's been around for like thirty years, you know. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Let's just hope the performance better than TCU's three three five in the last couple of games. <laughs> well, it did okay versus Michigan. It just struggled versus Georgia. Well, they gave it five hundred thirty eight yards versus Michigan, Dave. That's, that's, that's a good not point. Good either, that's a good so. point. How about the run? Was it was it any better against the run there? I, I'd have um, to grab those stats. So I'll pull those up here. Yeah. It was like yeah, one hundred ninety against the run there. Against yeah, Michigan. I mean. I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the three three five is is interesting. It's a, a a Rocky Long, um, and I think actually did did Rocky Long. He's now the defensive defensive coordinator at Syracuse. They 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 hired like one of the originators. He wasn't the mm-hmm. first guy. There was who was the one guy in front of Rocky who, who but down in New Mexico or whatever it was. I think. Yeah, yeah, that it was in uh, the Mississippi State guy. Um, Boomer, you, um, Joe. It's not important, but um, <laughs> some of the you'll you'll look it up if you look up three three five in the origins. There's Rocky Long and this one other guy who was the Mississippi State um, uh, coordinator for a long time. And uh, I mean, it's it's an aggressive defense. It's flexible. It can do a bunch of stuff. Uh, you play to your personnel. It, it seems to be more popular right now just because of of the offenses that are out there. Um, but um, it, it's it's still a matter of the, of 
a lot of it is the Jimmys and the Joes, and and so. Um, Jolie Dunn, Dave. That's your name. Jolie Dunn. Thank you. That's a, that's a Mississippi State kind of name right there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Joe, you got Lee, you got Dunn. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> need, a, need a Bubba in there somewhere. Should have been Joey it. Lee Dunn. I was a kid. Yeah. yeah, Bubba Lee Dunn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think to your point, I mean, uh, hiring a sitting Power Five D coordinator, uh, someone who's on the rise, who um, uh, wants to be a head coach, I think mm-hmm. um, soon. Um, I think is is a good thing, and I think you know it's a matter of can he uh, adapt and adjust and and get the right players to be successful in the Big Ten, you know, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you think about the connections that Satterfield had with uh, with Rule, go deep. I mean, he talked right away about he started with him like at Western Illinois or something like twenty years ago. I mean, long time connections. Now Tony White did have some connections from his playing days, what uh, UCLA, I think that he yeah they overlap like, like like one, one year, year. Yeah. but it's not the same connections it, from a from a long time you know connections with him, but it's definitely Tony White. You can tell is an up and coming like like this is a stepping stone job for him, which mm-hmm. come in here do a great job by all means, do a great job here for two or three seasons, whatever it takes. But yeah, it, he's on the move to be a head coach. And you need some of that movement too, I think. I mean, this guy, these are dudes, both of these coordinators were in the exact same roles at Power 5 teams in the ACC and the SEC last year. And so um, no doubt we will pay a little bit more. I guess when we talk about that $7 million coaching pool, um, both of our coordinators last year made just shy of 900000 And I'm guessing our coordinators this year are going to be in that 1.25 range. You yeah. know, I'm just guessing. So you will see a jump up in, in – from those two guys alone, but, um, but uh, Tony White, I mean, it, he was impressive. He was impressive to listen to. Um, I wanted to show this slide here and this is talking, Jim in Minnesota has a fickle copying rule and potentially going to the three, three, five. This was from Badgers 24 seven. It's no secret how, how high I am on Amari Snowden uh, had him as one of the most important recruits for Wisconsin, going back to the beginning of the 2023 cycle. Badgers finally get a plus length playmaking cornerback they can run. They just don't have a dude like this on the roster. Potentially moving to a three three five defense, Wisconsin can use a guy like Snowden. Okay, so they're making that move. And then uh, Parker, who we we highlighted earlier, Parker said Big Ten teams versus the three three five defenses in bowl games. Uh, Minnesota against Syracuse had thirty three rushes for seventy seven yards. Michigan against TCU had forty rushes for one hundred eighty six. Illinois against Mississippi State had 29 rushes for 35. Overall, 102 rushes for 298 yards, 2.9 yards a carry. Um, I'll say at the end of the day, I still think too much is just being made out of the out of the uh, formation, one way or the other. The the alignment. It, it, you're we were a three three five with JoJo Doman a year ago. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just I mean, like to that. your point, Aki. I feel like I mean, it's just like it's just numbers in the sense that I mean, if we end up Lining up more with four down linemen, it's 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 a four two five. It's a peso, right? It's Bo's <laughs> defense, right? And it's like, um, it's you can just throw out various different numbers and you know, hmm. say it's your own defense, but in reality, it's just a defense that is uh, very um, malleable to uh, your personnel and situation. Hmm. Well, last night over at Max and watching a couple of Temple games and watching Baylor, if nothing else, rule definitely has shown the ability to adapt to whatever his team is doing. I 
I saw three three fives. I saw four man fronts, a lot of four man fronts. I saw them under center at times with fullbacks. I saw them in running, you know, some tempo kinds of things. Um, two of the games we watched, Satterfield would have been the offensive coordinator for, and then one of them he wasn't. So just to, we were trying to kind of pay attention to little things like that. But in general, I mean, they ran a lot of different things, and and it was kind of based off of probably what that team specifically had. They had three different quarterbacks between the three games that we watched. So with the different quarterback, they weren't all the same exact skill set. And we, as we all know, your quarterback is going to dictate a lot of what you do, whether our quarterback next year is Jeff, Jeff Sims, or if it's Casey Thompson or anyone else, you know, that yeah. th- those two guys aren't the exact same player and, and that can change some of what you do too. So, um, but yeah, the three, three, five, again, we have all off season to talk about this, but the three, three, five is uh, it got plenty of, Plenty of press time, but I' not sure that it's really it warrants as much as it's gotten. But uh, are you guys ready to move on to the last thing to, to have a, a basketball it. talk? Are you ready to do that? Let's get to some basketball. And unfortunately, we don't have Redcast Rob here for this. But um, you know, uh, he how did it start with Rob? He sent like a, a text to us, right? And it was it was it something about like how. How was it? Was he talking about Hoiberg or? Oh no, it was about if we lost more games, right? Well, yeah. So what did he say? It was like if we lost that, if we lost a few more games, that he thought Hoiberg would be gone, right? Is that- yeah, I yeah. think this was after the Michigan yeah. State loss, and he had just had a relatively innocent but um, fireball type text, simply saying, you know, that Hoiberg was uh, short for this job, and who should we go after, essentially, mm-hmm. and. Um, I responded with like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, fire him after losing to Sparty in, um, in East Lansing. Right. Um, and so uh, pretty much saying like, I thought he could get, you know, maybe five or six more wins. And since then he did beat Minnesota, but then they got blown out last night versus Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the, that was it. Right. But then there was um, a, a tweet from big game, boomer i think which i think you have up yeah right here go. this which one got question this one got cared me. about basketball yeah yeah this one got me only because i mean college fan bases that don't care about basketball and of course it's big game boomer so we all realize the source right and it's yes. about clickbait and and giving the guy um some time and look what we're doing right here right I, I i get it but it was more along the lines when i saw this that it just doesn't even make sense. Like here we have this tweet here. God bless all of Nebraska basketball season ticket holders. There's ever anyone out there that deserves uh, some wins. It's all of you. And it was the uh, top 20 attendance from t- 2021 to 22. And as you can see here, there's Nebraska number 10 in the country, 15,283. And whether those are scanned tickets or not, you know, I don't care. Nebraska fans, uh, you know, support basketball. They, they show up. They've just been absolutely beat down with some of the, the worst <laughs> basketball that, you know, this program, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, just to highlight some of that, look at this, uh, Caleb Henry posted Nebraska balls, free throw shooting percentage, 63.45% right now is 329th out of 352 in D one, 935 out of hundred, 1,055 across all three NCAA divisions. That's just free throws. Uh, our three point percentage is 299 or two eight percent right now. That's three hundred twenty eighth out of three fifty two. It's nine thirty two out of one thousand fifty five across them all. Um, you have that, and then aside from that, Jacob Padilla of Hale Varsity yesterday or a couple days ago 
posted uh, Greasel shot 75.6% last year at South Dakota State. He's at 65% this year. Was he at North Dakota State or is it South Dakota State? This is SDS. I thought it was North Dakota State. And it didn't matter. Doesn't matter. Anyways, he's 10% less. Yeah, he's shooting 10% worse this year. Walker was a bad free throw shooter previously who improved to 72% last year. He's back down to 40% this year. Bandamel shot 82% at SMU last year. He's at 75 this year. Those are the leaders in the FTA. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable that we cannot get guys to, to it, they do something somewhere else and then they come here and they. That's they been the case for five years. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Rob. It, it is insane that for the support the basketball team gets, just how consistently bad they are. I I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just yeah, and, and I, I got honky all riled up because in that in that tweet I, I said you know support is relative or something like that you know, and we got into a long long text chain and and all I my point was is. is I mean, attendance is one way to track, you know, interest in basketball. And we clearly do quite well in that. We also do quite well in a bunch of other sports and attendance. But I mean, we also, you know, you know, just I mean, basketball is second to football. I mean, if you look at that, that, that list, really, I mean, Big Game Boomer just picked a bunch of football schools, except with some minor exceptions. I mean, Alabama is like a top five basketball program this year. But if you asked Alabama, you know, do they care about basketball as much as football? The answer is clearly no. Right. You know, so that's, but all that's the other thing. When you see these top 20 in attendance, you don't see any other of those football schools on it. Nebraska is the only one. And that's that Maybe is something Tennessee unique. About it. Yeah. Yeah. And how bad we've been in basketball. It, to me, that's one of the key. That's the thing that get that gets my goat is. I, I want to put nothing on, on the fans right now. The fans care deeply. I knew I know too many of them, far too many of them that 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 care so deeply about Husker basketball but they literally are just given nothing. And then yeah, last night yeah. is a microcosm of Nebraska basketball. How many moments over the course of the, it's not just the Hoiberg era. How many times over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, that you win one or two games in a row. You just barely get a little bit of momentum going. Hey, we beat Minnesota on the road. Hey, the last time at home in front of a sellout crowd against Iowa, you know, on a, in a midweek game during the holidays, we have a solid crowd and we, we look awesome. So the crowd gets pumped up again. We start to get people to show up from my hear What I've heard last night was probably about 10 to 11,000 fans. Most of the third deck was kind of empty, but first and second decks were, were really full and all those fans show up and nothing. I mean, that game gave them nothing from like right off the from bat. The it, yeah. It's yeah. so hard. I, I feel so bad. And I know so many of them, Colleague of and mine, so, Beller, Tiad, and go down the list. Yeah. And I and I'm like, these guys have just shown up for everything. And it's so can man. we can we talk about that a little bit? I think because yeah. I, I get where you're going there, because I know those guys too, Honk. And I, yeah. I get it. I mean, they follow Nebraska basketball very closely, um, far more than any of, of us. And um and yeah, they deserve more. We all, all deserve more, right? But um I, I guess what 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 was interesting to me was like there's a, is there a difference between following closely and being passionate about it and then having a different expectation um, too? Because I remember when, when Tim miles was fired, Beller was, was pretty disappointed. He was in in the camp, but we should stick with Tim miles, got something going there. Uh, now Tim miles has only had maybe two or three winning seasons out of 
seven, right? I mean, he, he mm. made should have made two NCAA tournaments, right? You could argue he made one. Year six, he had a team that looked like on paper would have been there, but because of a down Big Ten year. Big Ten's got nine teams in right now in the projections. We had four that year. He doesn't make it. And um, honestly, if he would have made the tournament that year, he's probably still coaching right now, right? But yeah. for every reasons that didn't happen, year seven, he has the roster that looks like it should go to the NCAA tournament, and it falls flat on its face. He gets fired, and and our, our friend Beller is like, no, let's keep keep Tim Miles and and keep that going. And instead, we we fire him and we hire Hoyerberg. And, and from our perspective, I think on this show, we said, you know, let's let's dream big here. Fred Hoyerberg can get us sure. to the Sweet 16. Let's not worry about just making the tournament. We're going to win games in the tournament. Um, I'm still not, I mean, Beller's way more passionate about Nebraska basketball than this. But his expectations was Tim Miles' era is good enough for me. We're competitive. We He thinks we're going to be better next year. He wasn't shooting for – it didn't feel like he was shooting for more than what Tim Miles was giving him at that uh, number, point. I would separate expectations from passion. Yeah, our expectations are not as high because they've never they've been never given any reason to have higher expectations. But the passion for Husker basketball, the the passion to be the – you know, when we were the last team in the in the conference in the Big well, 12 not have a practice facility, that wasn't acceptable. We're, we're not just going to build one. We're going to build the best one. We're going to build PBA. We're going to – we, you know, at the very least, we're going to give this program every single opportunity to be great. Let's go and hire Hoiberg because that is the, one of the top hires we're going to get. And so the passion's there to make it good and to make it better. And, you know, whether, and, and so, I think some of the stuff with Miles very specifically, Miles was just a popular coach with a lot of, a lot of yeah. fans. I mean, that's just, he was good at social. Media if, if he wasn't, yeah, if he it was wasn't, good. yeah, if he wasn't Tim Miles, I think with the exact same records, People would feel differently, but he's Tim Miles, and and you yeah, like if it was him. Barry Collier doing that, would we have? But I don't want to be thrilled. It's just it's out. just interesting to me in the sense of like because where where Rob was coming from is he's an Arizona basketball fan, and he's like Nebraska basketball's not winning enough. They're gonna fire this guy, and I'm like, eh, you know, if he gets five or six more wins, they probably will keep him around for one more year. Fred's pretty likable too. He just has even one less, right? Oh. And we're all rooting for him. We just don't know what's going on. So it's just like. In most other places, passion and an expectation goes hand in hand, right? It's pretty odd place to have a disconnect with that, right? If you're passionate about basketball, you have expectations that you are going to be competitive and you are are, are going to win. And when it doesn't happen, it it doesn't it, it shouldn't mean that the coach gets another year, right? And so that's just it's, 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 I think we're unusual in that sense. We're so we are so we are unusual. We're the only team to not have an NCAA tournament. We are unusual. Yeah. The passion is there. The success and the expectations aren't because they there's no reason for them. But Boomer, well, and, I, and I don't think expectations are that out of whack for a passionate fan base. I I honestly think most fans are okay if we could make the NCAA tournament. For, I'm not saying every year, but God, you make it three times a decade, four times a decade, and you'll eventually win, win one game. We're not asking to go to the Elite Eight every year. Our expectations aren't that, Dave. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think Nebraska fan base's expectations are out of whack, and I don't think they're terrible. I just think, yeah, I th- no, no, I, I I agree with you, Boomer. I don't think the expectations are out of whack. I don't think they align with what. Honky and others would describe as our level of passion. It doesn't that doesn't really compute in most other people's minds. That's all I'm saying. The, the the issue is the passion. The passion gets taken out of people when the results are so bad. 
but yeah. but they still keep buying tickets. They still keep showing up. They sell out a game. They they the passion isn't gone. The, the problem isn't the the fan base and the passion. The problem is the program has just stunk for so long. But what I'll say about expectations, they're exactly where they should be right now. We've made seven tournaments in the history of the program, for cripe's sakes, um, and that's a problem. You got to make more, obviously. And the expectations are where they are right now, but expectations are made to change. The I guess maybe the uh, silver lining on on the passion of, of Nebraska fans is I guarantee you the second we make an NCAA tournament, then the next year the expectation is, well, we better make it again. And then if you win one game for the first the first time, whenever we win that game, well, we better win it again the next time we go to the NCAA tournament. Now we better get to the Sweet 16. And the, the perfect example of that is baseball. We still have high expectations in Husker baseball for zero reason. We were terrible in baseball all the way up until Van Horn got here. Van yeah, Horn right. has one very small, you know, piece of time stretch where you throw a couple of Anderson years on that for about, you know, six, seven, eight years in a row. All of a sudden we're going to super regionals and going to college world series. And we still have created in our, there's an expectation now that that is a place that we want to get back to because just what I just said, get back to when you've been someplace, you want to get back to that place. Nebraska football has been to the, to the, the mountaintop and we want to get back up there. But the only way that you, you know that you want to get back there is you've been there before. I mean, that's the knock on the Iowa's of the world, right? I mean, like they don't have the expectation to win a national championship because they've never done it in football. Yeah. Well, Nebraska no, basketball, my goodness, right now, right win now. a game. Yeah, but hey, win bro, a game. Hey, bring up win that, a game uh, in the NCAA tournament. Just for the fun of it, bring up the, the big game boomer uh, slide again. There you go. It's just interesting. I mean, you look at this list. And, oh, yeah, Florida. Um, that's won national championships. Florida's won recent national titles. I would largely disagree with that one. Iowa Ohio fans State. are crazy passionate. Oh, say it again. Iowa fans, I think, are crazy passionate in, in basketball. They're they're a, a, a definitely follow their basketball very closely. I mean, Ohio mm-hmm. State, um, big time, you know, program that's had a lot of expectations recently, and then historically speaking, have won national titles. Now, some of them here the. Alabama, Penn State, uh, you know, Georgia traditionally hasn't had uh, a great basketball programs. Um, but a lot of these are football programs. Stanford, I, I kind of question that. But Stanford, are they passionate about anything, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> Same like Boston College. I'm like, you know, name a, yeah. name a real yeah. passionate Golden Eagles. Vanderbilt. I'm being rowing. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Just, um, yeah, it's an interesting list because I think, to your point, it was clickbait. They got yeah, it, us, though. And, and, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, when, when people think of passionate basketball programs, they often think like the North Carolinas and Dukes that have like national followings. And Nebraska ball is yeah. not going to have that. I mean, sure. it just nope. isn't. We don't. Yeah. We're never one. We have no reason to have a fan base that lots of people across the country are going to love. So you're just not going to think about us. And I think it's kind of a lot of what that list was. It was just those are lots of programs that don't have any sort of national fan base. So Think about something we have, though, in, in basketball that we – I mean, I think we can have this obviously in football with Iowa and, and so on, Wisconsin, those teams. But over the course of the last 20, 25 years, as we lost our rival in football with Oklahoma, we've all of a sudden gained a rival, an in-state rival, a passionate rival in basketball that has totally owned us. You know, now this year we finally this year. Yep. Yeah, we, we got the win this year and that and it felt great. And it was a passionate fan base that you, yep. you talked to. I mean, any of us, but you talk to the Bellers and those guys of the world that 
I mean, that win over over Creighton is that felt to them. Another like, reason Fred might have bought himself another year is he beat Creighton in yeah. Iowa. He might. Man, I'm telling you, Fred's they've got to they've got to get some wins at, down the, the the end of the season. It's just so tough. And last night. I don't. I don't want the recency bias of like just the last game to to play too much of a role of this discussion. But that is the kind of game they just can't have. Uh, and not that Illinois is bad for cripe's sakes. We know no, that that that's no. a team that was preseason ranked high. You know, yeah, and but, but they yeah. came well, I mean, in and just dominated us at game home by like three points. You know, the refing was just all of you know. There was so many fouls in that game, but it. It was just, you know, we were, t- we were texting during the game, and it was at one point, I, you know, I looked up and, hey, we'd cut it to 10. And then I look up again, and, hey, Illinois closed the game on a 17-1 to run. That's yep. what you can't have. If you lose those games close, that's one thing. But you just cannot have that kind of it, chasing them the entire game, looking like crap, blowing any momentum you've had. You've got to keep that. Just give us something. You know, it's tough because this is a team I can get behind this team from a toughness standpoint. I, oh, I, yeah. I appreciate a lot of things they're doing, um, but there's no margin for error from a talent standpoint. This team admittedly is probably the least talented that we've had under Hoiberg. It's not as yeah, talented. They don't have as the offensive firepower. To- and, and that's, that's not acceptable either. I guess to, to your point there, Dave, about when does passion what are the expectations? When does passion overrun into at least some expectations have to be, come on, this isn't good enough. This. Yeah. And and this isn't, I mean, this, that last night with that fresh in mind, that's not good enough. Now I know you can say, Hey, watch the Iowa game two weeks ago. Okay. That was good enough. We dominated Iowa. All right. We need more performances like that at home. And we need these. I love the toughness and the defense and everything, but my goodness, man, this team, it's got to play its best ball at the end of the season. Because I, if not, I mean, I don't. Trev, Trev has every right to to make decisions at the end of the season if, if we see more of last night. It and Hoiberg hasn't done himself any now. favors yeah. these last three seasons. I mean, this type of season right now, the toughness and everything that he's doing, this is what I would have wanted to see in year two of, of him. Yeah. I think you know maybe you have that transition year in year one, and by year two. You know, you've made some changes and in, in, in figuring something out in year four right now. I mean, this is uh, this is this is looking rough, and it's been a tough season, tough schedule. I get it, but you know, I want to have high expectations for Husker basketball. We deserve it. Husker basketball fans absolutely deserve it. The, the facilities we have, everything that that they've dedicated to it. I mean, this they deserve it. And I wish we had a guy like Greasel back every single season. <laughs> I just yeah, love no, sure. love having him there. But anyways, let him, let him go. Yeah, well, that's that's true too, and that's you know, look, I think you're I think you're right too, Dave, and I I actually kind of apologize a little bit. I think I I read your text wrong when I when I kind of went off a little bit on that. I don't think you're wrong on it. I think that we need to keep those expectations high with the basketball, and a perfect example of us having passion, but but not to the level of what we're doing with football is that how often do we have these Nebraska ball segments? I mean, this yeah. was going to be a a, a a hallmark segment of, of the Redcast when we started this on day one. And there have been seasons where we just flat out, it's nothing to talk about. All right, let's just yeah. move on. Yeah. And this, yeah. and then that's, we need that football needs basketball to take some of the, you know, just some of the pressure off of it. Some of the, we don't, yeah, need, yeah. We don't need front page stories about football every single month. There needs to be times where something else takes some of the attention away. 
Yeah, so. it's that's the truth. I mean, this fan race just wants to follow Husker athletics, and yep. you know, I mean, women's sports is doing a lot better job distracting this fan base from the football <laughs> program than anyone else. So, hopefully, okay. baseball can help here starting next month too. Yep. All right. Looks like we got parting shots, and uh, let's uh, let's start with Boomer. Well, my parting shot was uh, kind of just stems from what hockey was talking about. There, it's uh, this is kind of that slow time of year for the major sports. You know, football kind of winds down a little bit after you're done with the signing day, and Nebraska basketball is doing what we normally expect it to do anymore and get depressed about it. But there are other Husker sports. Uh, you know, when you have an opportunity. Go ahead and support them. You've still got women's basketball playing and playing well. You've got tennis actually playing, you know, both men's and women's. It's easy to go see indoors. That's fun. Gymnastics is kicking on. So there, there's plenty of time to, you know, support other Husker athletics, especially teams that don't often get the press and praise they deserve. It's easy to go to. It's cheap. You know, baseball doesn't, you know, throw that first pitch for a while. Softball isn't ready for a while. So go out and get some of those other sports star wrestling's going strong. So there's plenty yep. of things for fans to go support. And just have some fun as a, as a Husker fan. And I think a lot of those athletes and coaches and teams would really appreciate that. So if you get the chance, please do so. All right. Thanks, Boomer. It looks like Honky couldn't wait till the end of the show to take some more pipeline jerky. So uh... <laughs> this stuff is so good. Is I'm good not jerky, kidding. Yep. I, I've had it myself. It is very tasty. Yep. Pipeline-jerky.com. You can use Red Casket 10% off. You can also go to Alumni Hall downtown in Lincoln. Uh, there's other locations, too. I know throughout the state where they're selling it. It's outstanding. The money goes towards uh, the pipeline, the offensive line that helps lure guys like Walter Rouse tonight or Ben Scott and maintain, keep some of the guys, the, the Prohaskas and the, those guys of the world from transferring out. It's just one more thing on top of, uh, you know, everything else. It's it's supplemental for them. And, and it's not that, it you know, they make millions off of it, but it's it's something that we can do as fans. And it is amazing jerky. It is really good jerky. It's tender. You know, my teeth don't hurt right now chewing this. It's a tender jerky. So, I'm a happy guy there. Um, my parting shot, we haven't done this for about three weeks, guys, and so it's great to see you guys again. Um, I, I just feel chipper right now. I, this is a, It's been a fun show. Um, we haven't done a show since all the DeMar Hamlin stuff, and I just want to highlight what an amazing comeback story that is. Nine days later that uh, he just was released from the hospital today in, in, at his home in Buffalo, so that's amazing. A, a guy that literally cardiac arrest – you know, died on the field, essentially nine days later, he's back home. That that's an amazing thing. And I guess as, as Husker fans, as a Husker podcast, the fact that we can highlight Zach Taylor and what he, I think the role that he played that night, which is a really special one. I mean, all of us were watching that and, you know, I can remember we were texting back and forth and it's like, they can't be playing. No, they're not going to do that. You know, five minutes for what? And then to see Taylor just start walking across and it's like, yeah, this it's one of those moments where there's things more important than a football game than, than the playoffs. And, uh, and uh, it's great to see DeMar back home. Yeah, absolutely. Well said honk. Um, yeah. And hopefully he continues a, a speedy recovery mm. and um, that we don't, don't see that on the off football field anytime soon. That's for certain. All right, guys, great stuff. Really good show. Did enjoy getting back um, talking Nebraska football and, and basketball. Um, and I uh, look forward to a show next week. For now, let's call that a Go Big Red Cats. Go Big Red.
Heard at Sports Network production.